Hey, Gavin. Hey, Louie. God, the technical difficulty gods are smiting us today. No one is playing in our favor today. No one. I mean, we play in each other's favor. That's all we have, okay, right now? <laughs> um, and I'll take it. I'll take it, babe. You're the uh, Thelma to my Louise. Or would oh, you be... I'm the Rhoda. <laughs> <laughs> How you been, babe? I haven't seen you in New York in so long. Oh, my I God. Um, just it's so everyone knows it is just family today. We have no guests. So just putting that out there. Um, and so we're 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 in a safe space. Yeah, you, just just you and me. It, uh, Louis already cut up all my wigs. He made mm-hmm. sure I cannot go out on stage. Oh, so yeah. bursting at the seams. I just like loosened all of them. <laughs> Sequins spilled on the floor. Uh, I've been, I've been all right. I, I can't complain. I've been trying to get out and walk more. I am a fully vaxxed and ready to mingle as much yeah. as mingling can be. I'm still wearing a mask cause I'm not an idiot, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm very happy to, to be able to leave the house. Yes. It's, um, me and Derek, um, have been Peloton a lot. Oh, um, cause we're gay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but it's been good. It's been fun. Uh, yeah, it's so crazy, like, how now in my life exercise is, like, a fun thing. I used to hate it so much. Um, oh, I hope I get there someday. Yeah, <laughs> you'll get there one day. Also, when I say exercise, well, it's, like, me, like, riding my Peloton to Britney Spears. <laughs> but anyway, this took a, a, a long left turn. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Mixed Reviews. We're a film podcast where we take a film subject, such as an actor, director, or a mini-genre, and we tell you the entire history of that subject and then we talk about what we like and then maybe what we didn't like so much i mean probably not just maybe but most definitely oh what yeah we yeah um, there's some there's some talk of the stuff yeah. we didn't like yeah the, the reviews are mixed um we we watch as much as we can in two weeks then have this little powwow um invite you all to join us in the discourse um last week we had a really great episode um we talked about maybe one of the most fun subjects we talked about in a long while oh my god truly 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 a party girl i -hmm. love parker posey so much and our great guest jesse knight who was so kind to be like hey bitches let's do this yeah jesse again just like came in with the the stacks of knowledge he came dressed to impress he had all the things um and yeah parker posey was just such a fun because also i love when you can uh when we get to do these episodes that the subject is kind of like really all over the map and as far as like genre parker posey said what genre what is that i don't know that i am genre. post genre yeah posey genre <laughs> um but so we asked you guys to go online and vote for your favorite uh, Parker Posey movie and the results are in in last place was <laughs> literally any guest movie I couldn't decide which one to put on there I was gonna put best in show because I think that's the one she's most known for but Jesse famously said that he didn't like it and I didn't want to like you know step on his toes right uh, and I also know people love Guffman so but we want you to know if you did vote for any of the guest films all of your votes went directly towards mascots I'm so sorry Yikes, that's just the way the cookie crumbles, babe. Um, in third place was House of Yes, which was uh, both collectively yours and Jesse's pick. Um, Party Girl, my pick, came in at 22%. And coming out on top, 
is just see in the pussy cats. You know, literally it was a poll with no wrong answers. So I I can't blame anybody for picking. And as I said in the Parker Posey episode, she said herself, it's the thing that people the most, you know, know her for. So yeah. I mean, also what I didn't realize is uh this year, right now, is the 20th anniversary of this movie, Josie and the Pussycats. Um, they're making new vinyls, new shirts. There's gonna, I mean, show it some love. Like, I think the for good reason, like this movie is a cold classic for a reason. Um, so ahead of its time, and I'm so happy that it won. Um, you know, we all chose our favorites, <laughs> and then the audience chose theirs, and there is no disagreement. And what you meant by uh, you, you know, you didn't know that, you mean that we planned it. We meticulously right. planned it to come right. out for the 20th anniversary, yes. and we are amazing. So you yeah. mean our Parker Posey 20th anniversary Josie and the Pussycats episode? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but before we get out of old business, we actually have a couple more things to address. Um, I'm going to get the contest out of the way first, because I know all of you are chomping at the bit to find out who won our signed copy of Parker Posey's memoir, You Are On An Airplane. <laughs> Um, and I, w- I just want to thank everybody, first of all, to catch everybody up in our last episode, we ran a contest that was essentially, if you donated to any of these three charities, you would be entered into a raffle system in which one lucky person is going to get a signed copy of Parker Posey's memoir. Uh, the charities were send Chinatown love, which is a charity that's been trying to revitalize Chinatown in a post pandemic world, because obviously we know Asian Americans, uh, have been hit particularly very hard during this period. There was also intransitive AR, which is a charity that's helping fight that awful, awful anti-trans build in Arkansas that (laughs) after it looked like we were in the clear, their fucking Senate, you know, overrode the veto to all of us. Yeah, just just the worst. And also Gay Cities Campaign Save Our Spaces, which is trying to save gay nightlife, which for a lot of young um, and and older. But, you know, I feel like really it really helps if you're a young queer person to have a safe space to be able to go to to be amongst people like you and and that's just a really important charity all three of these charities very near and dear to us so i wanted to be able to try and give back a little we got 13 entries um that includes double entries by the way thank you everybody who double entries thank you michelle by the way who i was like you're totally entered you're fine and she was like nope bam bam i'm i'm more donations she is uh, a real one absolutely and so we got 13 entries, and altogether, you guys raised $317. Um, I added 50 to that, so altogether, it's $367. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but we are not a huge podcast. We are we do not we do not have some big corporation behind us. We don't even have a film website behind us. We, it's it's just literally Louie and I doing this um, each week, and so it does mean a lot, and it means a lot to these organizations. And I think that's what's really important. So I'm getting out the random number generator. I'm gonna hit the button. Generator, I barely know her. <laughs> oh, and it looks like. The winner is actually Michelle. What? Michelle Michelle oh, wow. Ice. Now, she entered three times, so she got her name in there. 
three times. She did what had to be done. Um, thank you so much, everybody who entered. Frank, Michelle, James, Braden, Austin, Chels, David, Devin, Brian. It's very appreciated. And um, sorry, you couldn't all be winners, but I'm not made of money. In our hearts, you all get five-star reviews. Absolutely. And listen, the 300 plus dollars is nothing to sneeze at. You know, um, we're all doing the best we can. And you know what? Like everything counts, everything matters. So truly from the bottom of both of our hearts, um, thank you guys. We, we, we love our little community that we've been able to build, um, you know, and we're just going to keep going and keep fighting a good fight when we can. And hopefully we're able to, in the future, maybe give some more back to you guys. Uh, but thank you so much for for helping these organizations. It, it genuinely means the most. Uh, before another, before we get into, I, this is the world's longest intro we know, yeah. guys. But real quick, we want we wanted to give a couple shout outs to a couple of our listeners who were kind enough to send us some emails. Um, and I'm going to read one first. It's from Benita from Germany, who we've mentioned before. Uh, she left us a five-star review on iTunes, and she's actually took the time to write us a little message, and I asked her if it was okay to read on the show. She just says, I want to say a quick thank you because I've been wanting you to do an episode on Audrey Hepburn, and you did. I intended to mail you as soon as the episode came out, but you know, life. Totally get it. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, anyways, I guess it's never too late to show some gratitude. But while I'm at it, though, I could tell you what other topic I would love both of you to touch upon, because the yeah. other actress I'd want an episode on from you guys is Emily Blunt. How about Ooh. that? So now that I planted this thought in your head, I'm excited to see what will become of it. Lots of love from Germany, Benita. Thank you so much, Benita. Actually, funny enough, Emily Blunt has been on Louis' tongue every time we talk about who we should do next. So You don't know where my tongue has been. <laughs> I do. And... <laughs> And so maybe she will be one of our upcoming um, subjects because she's definitely on the list. Yeah, thanks, Benny. I really appreciate that. We have another note. Um, this one's coming from Vincent. Um, he doesn't say exactly where he's writing this from, but uh, he wrote a lovely, lovely message. He said, when it is good, it is just good. This podcast is easily my top three favorite cinema podcasts ever. It's not just the subject matter and content itself, but also the queer passion that Louie and Gavin have for cinematic art. There's no reason this podcast should not be in the top 10 on Spotify. You're a Disney Renaissance. He's been hooked ever since. Uh, they cover about every genre, have five-star picks from Boys in the Side to a goofy movie, diversity up in this bitch. Yes. Uh, we don't always agree, but I have always enjoy the depth and care each one of your dives into film history. Uh, I'm a Black cisgender hetero male who grew up in the south, rural south of Mississippi, surrounded by racism, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia, and every other type of phobia you can imagine. I've seen it all, and I'm so happy that you guys do not shy away from bringing up the presence of the, all these topics in your work and it makes the experience more real in my opinion um he says i share your podcast with several people hoping it takes off please never get disgruntled and shake off the bullshit keep up the good work love is love especially the love of movies oh vincent my goodness it was just a cascade <laughs> of praise that i bathed in yeah when, when i got that email i was like that was um I don't know. That's the nicest thing anybody's sent in a long time, which is not to say, I mean, everybody else try and top them. Go ahead. But uh, <laughs> I, you know, it is it is easy because it is just a two man operation uh, to get a little disheartened sometimes. And, uh, you know, uh, which is not to say we don't love and appreciate all of you guys. We absolutely do. Um, we're always trying to build out an audience and, and try and give you guys exactly what you want. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, am I doing the right thing? Like, because we do dedicate uh, a lot of time to it. And so just really, it's always nice to hear that come back to us. 
and hear that people actually appreciate what we're putting out in the world because we're we are literally just doing this as a labor of love and because we like each other and it's fun i mean i like gavin less than i like the show but still a lot yeah i also like gavin less than i like the show <laughs> anyways <laughs> oh, gavin 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 i love you bud i love the show and i love all of our listeners it's so heartwarming to uh hear from someone in germany and also you know a uh, someone who grew up in the rural mississippi south who are enjoying the show and so yeah it makes it all worth the deal um but anyway enough old business enough, enough. <laughs> jennifer lopez enough um now available on hbo max uh <laughs> today this episode we have a brand new um really fun uh subject gavin tell our listeners finally who are we talking about today? We are doing the ultimate troublemaker himself, yes. Robert Rodriguez. Yes, the Texas troublemaker. Now, it's so funny. You, We were like, who should we do? Because we had a small lull in our schedule. Like, We know who we're doing next and everything. And we were like, well, it should definitely be a person of color. We haven't done anybody of color in a long time. Definitely, we should do uh, you know, a man. man. <laughs> and you just like... You were just like, Robert Rodriguez. And I was instantly like, yes. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, oh no. And I think <laughs> I think part of it is um, in my brain, I was like guilt by association. Because I look at the people that like Robert Rodriguez is always in the orbit of, like Quentin Tarantino. And I'm like, how interested am I in this? But when we began the process of researching and looking back at the films, I suddenly remembered how much Robert Rodriguez meant to me as a young film student because mm. he is somebody who came from, you know, not a lot of means. Like, literally, he is one of 10 children, which we'll yeah. get into. And he started out, you know, editing on VCR. That's how I learned to edit before moving into a pirated copy of Premiere. Um, <laughs> and I, I mean, that's, I, I kept seeing myself in it and I, and I just remember like young college Gavin, like looked up to Robert Rodriguez as somebody who's like this self-made person who with a lot of luck and he'll, he admits it's also a lot of luck, but a lot of hard work made something of himself. And I don't know. I just, I ended up having like a really great time. I may not love all the movies. I may not enjoy everything in his aesthetic, but I connected with, it was sort of the reverse of what I had with Tim Burton when we did Tim Burton and I went in and was like, yeah, Tim Burton. Like, I love this guy when I was a kid. And then like watching it just suddenly started to feel more like, oh, does he even like making movies anymore? I don't think, I don't think anything could make Robert Rodriguez dislike making movies robert rodriguez is a child trapped in a grown man's body and he will always just be having fun you know robert rodriguez movie when you see it yeah um, he's gonna do what he wants to do and he's gonna do his way you know you cannot knock a guy for doing actually going out and doing the thing you know we might not like it but you know what he's out there doing it um, we might not like it all the time. Let me yeah. put an answer on that. And like, like I said, there are there are plenty of stuff I like. I don't want to I don't want to completely knock it before we get into it because he is he's also incredibly talented and he definitely has a very like a very specifically designed style. Um, yep. But you know, there are some stuff that I'm like, 
Oof, Robert, <laughs> Robert. There has, I, I will say, I don't think there's been a more mixed um, subject that I've watched for in a while. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this movie, it's still going on. I, I could have sworn a lot of these movies, I was like, these must be two and a half hour movies. And I was like, no. I was, I, I was going to say, which is so funny because a, a lot of his movies are not very long. A lot of them are really kinetic. Um, a, it, part of that is, is because he, edits them himself as well mm-hmm. too because he's such a one-man band it's funny um i was gonna save this for later but i think it's a good anecdote for now just speaking of so one of the most recent things he worked on was an episode of the mandalorian um getting involved in the star wars universe and john favreau wrote the episode and he handed him an 18 page script um and usually they say in the industry like you know it's like a minute per page or whatever and robert rodriguez looked at it and he's like john you've seen the way i edit you're going to get like a 16 minute episode <laughs> and, and Robert Rodri- and uh, John Favreau was like, we'll, we'll pad it out with uh, action sequences. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. but, uh, but I thought that was really funny because he was, he was honest, you know, he's like, I'm quick. He said, babe, he said, babe what's this brochure? You just have to... <laughs> I'm going to need a couple more pages, babe. Uh, um, all that being said, this is a filmmaker who has made an indelible mark in Hollywood, certainly in Texas and in Texas filmmaking. Um, so all that being said, why don't we just dive right into our rewind? Robert Anthony Rodriguez was born June 20th, 1968, making him 52 years old. He was born in San Antonio, Texas, um, mm-hmm. which is a place both near and dear to both of our hearts, actually. I've been there, and I just think it's fucking lovely there. Yeah, I uh, spent many a summer field trips in San Antonio. It's be- it's beautiful. Oh, my God. Oh, like, honestly, really it's one of those places that I'm like, I would visit San Antonio mm-hmm. again. Um, mm-hmm. He's the son of Mexican-American parents, Rebecca, who was a nurse, and uh, Chichilio G. Rodriguez, who was a salesman. Like I said, he's the third eldest in a family of 10 children. So many children. There's five girls and five boys, even split. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's growing up, uh, you know, with this love of movies. He said, you know, his family, oftentimes on the weekend, they would go see these, um, you know, doubles, sometimes triple features. They, they, you know, send the kids to go see them. exactly and you know he said he fell in love with that but oftentimes you know he'd watch these films and he realized the two things that he never saw that he hated was that he never saw positive representation of latinx or spanish-speaking people um if there was representation at all they were villains and he never saw badass women and he's like I have five sisters. <laughs> I grew up here in Texas. You know, right. you see a lot of diversity, but you didn't see it in the movies. So uh, growing up in a family of 10 kids, there's five boys and five girls, and my sisters were badass. You know, it would be so strange to go yeah. to the movies and see, one, you, don't, you didn't see any, you know, positive Hispanic heroes characters, much less heroes, and you didn't right. see any women heroes. It was just, like, so bizarre. Right. At the age 11, he starts to get really interested in the making of films, and essentially what happens is his father buys a VCR, and it comes with a camcorder. Now, his dad had a Super 8 uh, film camera, but he realized he couldn't do too much with it because anytime that you stopped the film and restarted the film, there'd be these big jumps or these bright flashes, 
But with a VCR, um, what you can do is you can, you know, pause your tape, do like shoot something else. Now, the problem is you have to pause. You, you don't stop. And I know this from experience as a kid, you don't stop the tape because then it creates a jump. But if you pause, you're able to create a live edit in your VCR tape. See, this is all so much stuff that I would never have the patience for. I'd be like, okay, yes, hello. <laughs> That's I'm, the only thing I had patience for as a kid. See, I didn't even own a camera. It was uh, my friends had a camera. Their parents had a camera and they were nice enough to let me um, make movies with them. We don't talk anymore. Anyways, <laughs> they're dead she now. Drowned. She drowned. <laughs> he starts attending St. Anthony's High School Seminary, which is a junior seminary. Um, Crazy. Which is funny because I have his book, Rebel Without a Crew, or how a 23-year-old filmmaker with $7,000 became a Hollywood player. Um, nice. And it's it's a great resource and full of good information. And I recommend if you really want to know about how he made El Mariachi, go out and get this book. Uh, but it's also 30 years old, so a lot of the information is a little dated now. But uh, he he talks, he's like, I attended private school. Well, I didn't attend private school as much as a junior seminary. And it's like, babe, those are two different things. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so crazy because like Catholicism just definitely doesn't never comes up again in his movies. It definitely didn't make a, any imprint no. on his thing at all. Um, and because he had this... Uh, you know, this video recorder that you could put a VHS in. I, I want, when I say camcorder, by the way, guys, like, I think a lot of you people out there might be thinking like, oh, handheld, like a little monitor. Like, no, this is like, uh, like prosumer, like big, like news channel, like viewfinder, no screen. That's, this is exact. I know exactly what he's talking about. Uh, but he was hired to film the school's football games. And uh, his sister said that he was fired after one game because he shot everything in too much of a cinematic style. Um, he was always shooting um, parents' reaction shots or the ball traveling in the air instead of shooting the whole play. He said, Friday Night Lights, baby. <laughs> but uh, during this time, he did meet Carlos Gallardo, um, and they both continued to, to make films uh, on video throughout high school and college. So Carlos uh, actually lived in Mexico. He lived in Ciudad Acuna, in Mexico and he would invite Robert Rodriguez down for summers and they would, you know, they'd be kids running through the streets with their camera, making movies and everything. And sometimes he'd make shorts and Carlos was able to sell them to local Mexican TV stations and they would put them on or sell them to nightclubs and they'd play them as sort of like background monitor stuff and whatnot. Uh, but you know, this, this high school connection ends up becoming a huge part of his life. He ends up going to the College of Communication at the University of Texas at Austin, and he starts falling in love with cartooning. He doesn't get into the films, the school's film program because his grades are bad in things like math and sciences. Inherently, sometimes creative people just aren't good at that stuff, and I've experienced that. Creative. I'm not like a smart person. Yeah, Hello. exactly. Um and, both hands, right? <laughs> uh, but he ends up creating a, a daily comic strip called Los Hooligans. Um, and the main character in that comic strip is his his sister, Mari Carmen. That runs for three years in the student newspaper, The Daily Texan. Uh, but during that time, he continues to make short films. His father buys a second VCR in hopes that, you know, well, one VCR will be Roberts and one VCR will be the families. And no, 
That's mm-hmm. it's much easier to edit when you have two VCRs. So oh my God, Dad, you got me another VCR. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, so he's able to edit them back and forth between the two. In 1990, he enters a local film contest. Um, with a short film he made on 16 millimeter and then transferred to video to edit called Bedhead, starring his family. Um, you can find this on YouTube. It's a lot of fun. It's totally worth watching. Uh, and it, it's this sort of dark, silly thing about his sister getting psychic powers to take out her annoying brother. At this point, I realized I had the power to do anything I wanted. I could bring peace to the Middle East or become the first Mexican-American female president of the United States. But first things first. The film gets recognized uh, for excellence at the Black Maria Film Festival, and he's essentially able to to like go to the head of the film department and be like, hey... I made a I made a short film. It's winning prizes. Your students haven't made anything. Mm-hmm. You should let me in. And he consents. He's like you you get to be part of this film program. Mm-hmm. Um while he's still in school, he's like I should make a full movie. And he's like I'll do it on summer break. And, but he decides the the best way to do it is if he shoots it for really cheap, sells it to the Mexican video market um, just to recuperate his funds and then make something more expensive with it afterwards. So I thought, you know, this is something I might be able to do. Let me get some practice telling some feature stories. Right. So I came up with this great scam. I thought, man, you know, a lot of friends of mine like foreign films. I want to be a foreign film director. I'll go make movies in Mexico. For the right. Spanish home video market. That's why Mariachi's in, in Spanish. You know, because you Texas. thought you could sell just that, and then that would Cut finance your next Mariachi yeah. segment. Finance a couple more. Right. You know, get three features under my belt within a year, and uh, really learn everything. That's why I didn't take a crew with me, so I could learn the lighting, the sound, the camera work, the editing, and it would be you know a great film school. It'd be one where you're, you're you know you learn everything. So he decides to write this trilogy of movies about this Mariachi, who's also a hitman, and he knows that he's going to have to raise at least $7,000. So he finds the quickest way to get any sort of money is by becoming a human lab rat for drug test companies. That is the entire first 20 pages of this book, by the way. It's super gross. And uh, yeah, like he's... I love Lipitor. It's my favorite flavor drug. <laughs> yes, Lipitor. The one that he ends up getting, like, luckily, the one that he ends up doing for this is just Lipitor, and it's not that big of a deal. But in order to get $800 to make Bedhead, he also did the same thing. And they were testing out a quick healing drug. I have daily reminders. I have scars still from a lot of them. One, one of them was a drug that uh, was a speed healer drug. Right. You know, how do you test a drug like that? You, know, you cut people. They sure. wound you, yeah. So they would cut holes out of your arms and put the speed healer on one and the placebo on the other and then do tests on you. And they paid you about 100 bucks a day, which for a college kid, you know, sure. it's a lot of dough. You know, I made $3,000 in one month for mariachi. I did that many times to fund my other short films. But this one was, I was in a hospital for 30 days testing the, it's actually, I think it's Lipidor, the drug that's, uh, brings down cholesterol. I tested that. So he goes away for a month to try and get $3,000 basically testing out Lipitor. Like I said, it's and all... that's how he got his superpowers. <laughs> exactly. It's all described in the book. Um, and his friend Carlos Gerardo is down in Mexico. He's scouting locations. He's trying to cast things for him. And also at the same time, um, 
like water for chocolate is being shot in Carlos's hometown. And it's the ends up being the biggest Mexican film to that time period. And Robert, right before going into the into the test program, is able to go down there, shoot some behind the scenes B-roll for them. He he gets in nice with the with the DP, he gets in nice with the director, and it's all these like little connections because he'd spent all these summers in Mexico making these short films um, that he's able to, to really get, like get his foot in the door. He gets out of the medical testing studies program with the money. He's married at this point, by the way, I should mention he got married all real young. His wife or he met his wife at UT. Yeah. Um, and I, I read like PS Texas monthly has all the coverage, all, all the, all the, the scoop on Robert Rodriguez. Um, and there's a really great like 1998 um, issue that has Sandra Bullock on the cover and it's their Hollywood, Texas issue. And it, there's an interview with him and his wife who um, would become his producer, essentially. His wife's name is Elizabeth Avelan. And um, so he gets out of this medical testing program and he gets his $3,000. He puts it with the money he has and he goes down to Mexico and he's going to do a vast majority of this himself. He gets some lighting equipment. He gets um, 16 millimeter uh, film camera. He's not going to shoot any sync sound. They're going to do the sound in the wild. And yeah, he's he ends up you know shooting the movie, editing the movie. And like I said, he's doing this for the Mexican film, for the Mexican video market. He does not expect this movie to go anywhere. He's thinking, once this movie makes money, I'll be able to get it, get the next thing I make into Sundance. They had told him that he needed like a lot more money. I read that they heard say, oh, well, yeah, you can just like cast some like Mexican soap stars. They do a lot of cheap Mexican movies here. It's like for 30 grand. And he was like, LOL, LOL, LOL. Um, no, ma'am, no, Pam. And also I think because uh, the the Mexican direct um, to videos, they weren't even shooting on film. He was like, I can shoot on film way cheaper, just way better. And I think he, he wrote and says, I just use whatever we had available. And I think for El Mariachi, he was like, we had a church, we had a bus and we had a dog. <laughs> it's and true. One of the, one of the most... Around. One of the most technical things, and he said he hates writing for props that he doesn't think he can get a hold of, but there's the scene where El Mariachi's in a tub, and he he didn't have a tub, and so he ended up getting the same prop tub from, like, Water for Chocolate. Amazing. (laughs) He was like, you guys don't need it anymore. Right. You're done with this tub. (laughs) Uh, By the way, uh, quick spiked topo chico break oh love that for you yeah just do, it? just doing it as it's actually pretty good but doing it in honor of texas you know yeah. topo chico it's very i'm feeling the energy i'm feeling it it always tastes a little bit more like perfume than anything else yeah fair that's hard all... to very much walks on the perfume side of life yeah as I mentioned, this friendship totally fortuitous because Carlos Giardo becomes the star of El Mariachi. He ends up taking this lead role in this film. And I'm also very mad that like the scenes that are on YouTube are like dubbed in English. Yeah, so like, I, w- I didn't even know that there was an English dub until I started doing the, the research for this. It reminded me so much of uh, when we did our um, Michelle Yeoh episode. They look 
very much like the Wuja movies and obviously not like, you know, the intense stunts, but like just the aesthetic is very similar. It's very dramatic. It's in your face. He loves a good close up. He loves yeah. just like a good well, like. I mean, th- that's a saving technique because he was using very like non-professional lights. So you right. could basically like move the light right up next to the camera and do. <laughs> yeah. I really like El Mariachi. It is cheap. I think it's exactly the film he set out to make. The character of El Mariachi is not a hitman to begin with. He is actually just a mariachi. And he right. gets confused with a hitman and basically ends up taking his place. Which is funny because then you get these two sequels in which he's like a very professional hitman. Yeah. He's yeah. just sort of grown into that life. Um, it's it's totally worth watching. But you have to keep in mind that it was, an, it was a $7,000 film. If you go to YouTube and like the first trailer... Columbia like sold this in a very strange way. It was like two years ago we introduced you to John Singleton, this visionary director. He's so young. He has a he has a specific point of view, and it's like okay, just call him black. God. Um, <laughs> and then they were like, and this year we're doing it again with a new groundbreaking, fresh voice, twenty three years old, uh, El Mariachi. And I was like, they really were setting him up for like you know we found this star we found this like little filmmaker out of nowhere uh so yeah it's so interesting and the movie made a butt ton of money oh yeah so the movie ends up getting set into sundance uh and it wins the sundance audience award in 1993 just the scrappiness that we went out and shot with whatever we could whatever we had and just to get the movie done because we, I only done short films. I didn't know how much work it would be to do a feature. And we got it done in two weeks, but it was just a lot of work. So if something came and it wasn't exactly right, we'd be like, nobody's going to see this anyway. And we would just do it not, not having any idea that it would be screened at the Sundance. I would have spent more money. I would have been borrowing all kinds of things. I would have ruined the movie. So I'm glad I didn't know anyone would see it. Columbia Pictures buys it and they clean it up. Um, with post-production that ended up costing several thousand dollars before it was distributed in the United States. And it's funny because then they spend a ton of money advertising it, so much more (laughs) than the actual budget, but they keep advertising it as the $7,000 movie. Every major studio is just a giant corporation now. They're just run by... And I don't know if this specific route is... I don't want to say it's impossible, but I I don't know how likely it is nowadays, Um, especially with the proliferation of the ability to make movies and everybody has a camera in their pocket and everything. And I don't know. It's so interesting because he and like I said, he acknowledges it. Obviously, it's very hard work. He went and made a fucking film on his summer break. And but also it is luck you know he really lucked out that it was like that time and that place i don't want to say it's unrepeatable but it's but it's very close to unrepeatable the way things happen for robert rodriguez and he actually was a big part of like the indie resurgence of the early 90s yeah i mean i read something that like um who's the guy that made clerks whatever his kevin smith yeah kevin smith they were like kevin smith had like triple the amount of money and he literally just set up a fucking handheld camera and like it's in black and white literally robert rodriguez <laughs> was doing action stunts full like you know right. crazy thing um for way less money and so it's very um 
it's just like this guy when you were that controlled like i think you can't um dismiss like he's he wasn't counting on other people like in some regards yes he he had help obviously from friends he was getting this he was getting that but it wasn't like oh i have to fucking fight the writer i have to fucking fight the you know producer like he was like he was doing it all he's like i'm right. gonna get the money i'm going to write the thing i'm going to shoot the thing i will edit the thing i will do the music like it's you know he um is able to drive his fortune um so that combined with like the timing of it all just was really really uh and perfect and like you said he he comes up with that class you know it's like it's the kevin smith's it's the quentin tarantino to some respect it's the steven soderbergh's like it you know he's a little bit older but it's it's that sort of like indie film renaissance that's starting in the early 90s he is you know such a competent uh run and gun filmmaker i think a lot of people found that very attractive Um, and so he gets his money to do his second mariachi film which once again was supposed to be (laughs) like a directed video mexican you know Mm. market film uh but because of this he's able to cast for actors that a more general audience would expect. When I did El Mariachi, I happened to make it in Spanish, but when I went to go do Desperado, I was shocked that there just weren't any Latin actors working in Hollywood. Because it was a systemic problem. No one was writing those roles, much less directing those roles to cast those roles. So I realized anything I wrote, I was going to write in my own person. It was going to be a Hispanic character probably. I needed to create my own star system. So I found Antonio, you know, was in Europe doing some stuff with Almodovar, discovered Salma Hayek, Pulled Cheech out of retirement, put Danny Trejo Danny in every Trejo, movie I right, made exactly. until he became a star. So Antonio Banderas takes over for the lead role. Um, but uh, Carlos Gallardo does still stay on as a producer. And he's actually in the film as one of the other mariachi as well. So, uh, but this uh, is Desperado, right? Yeah. So this is Desperado. He's also able to introduce Selma Hayek to an international audience. Yeah. And they had worked together in Road Racers, which we talked briefly about. Um, in our summer hike episode. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention by the way, Road Racers. Road Racers is a small film he does for Showtime. Showtime was barely a network at that point. I didn't watch Road Racers for our summer hike episode, but I did watch for this. Kind of, I, mean, I was kind of into it, you know. Yeah, it's 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 not bad. It's fun, and it what it was with Showtime at the time was um, finding young directors and having them redo those. Um, but they're like women in trouble films from the 1950s. So there's like a women's prison film and this uh, road racers and whatnot. And yeah, it's, it's good. And it's surprisingly David Arquette has a lot of chemistry with Selma Hayek in that movie too. Playing a bunch of crap. Solar music, dude. That's all it was. Just music. <laughs> Shit on a stick. You didn't have to do that. You know, that was our chance and you fucked it up. Just like you always do. Very selfish, dude. You don't give a damn about my dreams. Those are my dreams, Donna, not yours. It's fun, and it's it 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 also it's like the the beginning point. You see a lot of his movies, big fuck yous to authority, expectation. He's really just does not. Um, he's a troublemaker. He really is. That's when he names his company. I also really enjoy, by the way, uh, and I didn't mention this when we were talking about El Mariachi, that the bad guy is a white guy. And the bad guy is actually one of the other test subjects at the research facility that Robert Rodriguez is at 
Peter Marquand. And uh, but I did. He was like, yeah, when I was writing the Mariachi trilogy, I wanted to make sure that the the bad guy drug dealer was an American. And so it's not what you expect, because in every movie, it's always like a Mexican drug dealer. Right. Yeah. The next big thing he does is he goes on to collaborate with Quentin Tarantino for the vampire thriller from Dust Till Dawn. Um, he also produces its two direct-to-video sequels. Yeah, we talk about it um, in our Summer Hack episode. Um, in our Vampires on Film episode. Yeah, it's it's like famous for, I would say, Selma in that like dress and she's doing the thing. Um, it's fun. It's like, you know, I think it's like a really fun uh, Halloween time movie. Um, it's, I think maybe you get him doing like shoot 'em up gory stuff since the beginning. You get yeah. that in El Mariachi, but this, I, him paired with Quentin Tarantino is just like mask for mask, over the top insanity um, that we will continue to see. I do appreciate too that he. He has mentioned, you know, George Clooney didn't have to do the film, but George Clooney thanked him because he's like, nobody ever thinks of me for this type of role. But you figure, you know, I told George and uh, that no one was really offering him movie roles at the time I hired him for this. Right. So, you know, you can't go wrong in a movie like this. Just blame me if it doesn't work. You know, you're doing something so different from television right. that it'll get a younger crowd. It'll get a different audience. And now he's Batman. You know, it's amazing. So he took a big gamble in doing the movie. He is able to cultivate these relationships that last his entire career you know he works with cheech for years he worked george clooney lest we forget is in the spy kids movies yeah you know he's he works with um david arquette again later i mean and tony Bender, like it's danny trejo which by the way yes. when he was filming desperado in mexico he said the funniest thing was is nobody would ever crowd around antonio banderas they would crowd around danny trejo and he, they all thought he was the star of the movie. And so he was like, that man is a star. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's just how it is. Moss to a flame. Post from Dust Till Dawn, uh, he ends up doing the faculty for Dimension. I think the faculty, his involvement in the faculty is really funny because I had seen it years ago and remember hating it. And then I rewatched for this and I was like, oh, it's fine. It's like not... But also, it is such, like, it's, like, quote-unquote written by Kevin Williamson, but it's not really. It's, like, Kevin Williamson punched up the script and then got the screen credit for it. But I just think it's really funny that um, they would choose Robert Rodriguez to direct it because he directed the fake stab sequences in the movie Scream 2. Like, all the stuff with Heather Graham and all the stuff with Tori Spelling and whatnot. And so, like, they're basically being, like, you're going to be our low-rent Wes Craven so mm-hmm. you're going to actually basically make this movie that is Scream with Aliens. The writer, alleged writer that now you're saying, he had turned this in like years ago, but it, what like they didn't like it or whatever. And then Scream was a success. Yeah. And so then they were like, oh, let's just turn this around because well, that, teens. Are- that was the, the two original writers. They get a story by credit on the film. Um, they yeah, they wrote the this idea years ago that was essentially doing a cross of body snatchers and the thing, but setting it in a high school, uh, David Wetcher and Bruce Kimmel. And yeah, exactly like Dimension was like, no, and then Scream was huge, and they were like, Bring in Kevin Williamson, we'll get his name yeah. on it. And yeah, I mean, it, this is the first thing that um he or I guess not the first thing because he did not write um uh, from Dust to Dawn, but I feel like his sensibility is so ingrained into that movie 
the faculty is the first thing he doesn't produce, he doesn't write, he's just directing. Um, and I will, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I think he sometimes needs a little reining in. Sometimes oh, I'm like, um, he, a lot of the stuff that he's like working on, I'm like, this is, maybe you need another pair of eyes, a finer um, editing hand, perhaps. Well, that he did edit this, though. He did edit the faculty. Not like edit, edit. <laughs> I mean, like in general. Because um, sometimes the writing for me is a little Concosaurus Rex. I mean, I, I totally get it. You know, the next film that he does is in 2001. He does the first Spy Kids. And, it you know, he follows that up by doing... Um, in 2003, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, which is the third part of the Mexico slash El Mariachi trilogy. And mm -hmm. I actually feel like both of those films are have classic examples of what you're talking about. You mean Spy Kids and Once Upon a Time in Mexico? Yeah, where it's it's like left to his own devices. He can be a little, you know, out there in a way that, you know, and he's prone to putting stuff in just because he thinks it's cool. Like the the little like thumb bad guys were something that he drew as a kid and thought would be cool. Now I'm saying this, but, and, but I will say, I think the first two spy kids movies are a lot of fun. Um, they're not amazing, but they're, they're so yeah. much better than I, I remember. Right. I think the spy kids movies have a lot of charm, especially the first two, the third one, um, oh, which the third the years once upon a time in Mexico is it, it it preceded the like 3d craze like he right. was pushing the boundaries of you know graphics and 3d and la 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 but it a lot of that movie and i would say a lot of other movies that are in that same wheelhouse is just like a um i don't know like a tutorial on how to use graphics right and, sacrificing a lot of story a lot of plot a lot of i don't know character building for like a moment where a hand comes out and into the audience i'm like <sighs> yeah so, someone got a new toy and he just wants to play with it and that's <laughs> what spike kids 3d game over is yeah spike kids 3d like is is really unfortunate because it's not really a movie and no, no it's not it's, and, it's a window screensaver yeah with like little junie and um the other spy kid whatever her name is um in front carmen? of carmen like, yes carmen and junie yes sorry <laughs> fans out there don't come for me i actually think carmen and junie are very good actors yeah like, Ale alexa penvega who he like gets like he has like a really close relation like a really fatherly relationship and we haven't even got to the fact that he has five kids but we yes. will get there i don't want to shit all over spy kids because i do think like you said there's a lot of, to love in spy kids um but there's also like that well has been tapped yeah well and i, I think he agrees even though supposedly there's going to be a reboot at some point but i did want to talk just a tiny bit about once upon a time in mexico once upon a time in mexico like i said it's the third of the um mariachi my, films and i think it's the least of the three in my opinion i think it's maybe the best looking one and what's crazy too is that you know spy kids the first spy kids ends up being his last movie shot on film because he goes to skywalker to uh to do the effects and while he's there george lucas 
creator of Star Wars is like, hey, I'm shooting episode three. I'm doing it on these digital cameras. Maybe I can convert you because really unsuccessful converting other people at the time. I was mixing sound up at Skywalker and uh, George Lucas was kind enough to show me early footage of stuff he had shot because he, he heard that I like to do things differently and he, he, he thought he might be able to convert me over to digital also and he sure did. I went and saw early footage that he had shot. It wasn't effect footage. It was just um, natural footage, natural locations. That was the first things they shot. And I was really blown away. These were just prototype cameras. It was the 1K projection. And it just got me excited about movies again. I felt like that 12-year-old kid again who was shooting on video and getting a lot done and be able to move at the speed of thought. But he makes Robert Rodriguez a convert. You know, he realizes he can shoot quicker. He can get things faster. He can edit things faster. It's funny, in Rebel Without a Crew, he even mentions, you know, like, God, I wish I could edit this on a computer. Um, If only computers could get up to 24 frames per second. And it's just like, babe, you're you're seeing the future. Like that's that's literally what happens. Um, yeah, I think a lot of uh, even like the Spike Kids movies, it's like the graphics absolutely don't hold up. They like they exist and run purely on the energy of uh, of the, the the really great cast. Yeah, well, I think the I think the first two have their own style. I think like you said, the third one is where he starts moving towards more like it's very gimmicky. But I think. He's also in the first two Spy Kids, he's really showing a lot of his own references as well. And it's funny because I mentioned Tim Burton earlier. I think he's actually got kind of a Tim Burton-y sort of aesthetic. But I think what happens is is Tim Burton went from using physical sets to using digital sets without ever thinking about how fake digital looks versus real where Robert Rodriguez is very aware of the fact that these things are not going to look perfect. And so I think when like spy kids Two: islands of lost dreams, you get these creatures and backgrounds that are much more Ray Harryhausen influence that sort of stop motion. You know, the animals don't move quite quite in the right way. And it's really cool to see that because it's like, both him working his aesthetic and nodding to the things that came before it. I think that's really bold and interesting. Yeah. He definitely has like this reverence and love of like cinema and film. And so like, I think, you know, there's a lot of like little Easter eggy nods, homages in a lot of his films. Um, But anyways, I just wanted to say, by the way, uh, so finally, finally, once upon a time in Mexico, uh, I think it's mostly fails because, um, First of all, Salma Hayek's in it very little, and Antonio Banderas isn't in it that much more. It's right. stuffed to the gills full of these cameo appearances. I mean, you've got... Johnny Depp is like the... Well, Johnny Depp's the star of the movie, and it's so obnoxious because every time he's on screen, I'm just like, anybody else, really? But also you've got like Willem Dafoe in Brownface, and like, it's just, it's a lot, and it, it it's as you said, it's him like giving into his worst impulses, him being like, Oh, I have this money. I can spend it. Um, and I'm sure he was doing it for relatively cheap by comparison to what anybody else would do with that money, but it still feels sort of bloated and overblown. Um, but yeah, like so much Johnny Depp. L, you really must try this because it's, uh, it is a slow roasted pork. Nothing fancy just happens to be my favorite. And I order it with the tequila and lime in every dive I go to in this country. And honestly, that is the best it's ever been anywhere. In fact, it's too good. 
It is so good that when I'm finished with it, I'll pay my check, walk straight into the kitchen, and shoot the cook. Because that's what I do. I restore the balance to this country. And that is what I would like from you right now. To help me keep the balance by pulling the trigger. Do you want me to shoot the cook? No, I'll shoot the cook. My car's parked out back anyway. You will kill Marquez. I, I mostly feel like he has three lanes. There is the like blow him up action Mexico stuff. There is the family graphics stuff. And then there is the like studio things that happen once in a while. <laughs> um, and in the Mexico version, like you are always, always going to have the twist, the double twist, the triple twist layout. And like everyone works for the government, but also actually for like not the government, but maybe also the government. Who knows? Uh, and it's just to me, it feels like he keeps going to the same thing over and over again. And that's why for me, some like I was like, these moves, especially this one, I was like, Selma Hike is literally just a damsel in this movie. There's yeah. no her like being cool. It's just like Which is really unfortunate because she is really cool in Desperado. Yeah. Yeah. Um the, they do have that great getaway sequence where they're like the where they're handcuffed. Yeah. But but the thing about that is the physics on it don't wear like like she keeps dropping, no. and I was like, how did her arm not just rip out of her body? Rip. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, I mean, I guess you're not supposed to believe anything in these movies. No. Like. Um, during this time period, he decides to found his own production company, and he calls it Troublemaker Studios, formerly Los Hooligans Productions, uh, named after his comic strip, and he bases it in Texas. And that's a big move because there's not a lot of film outside of LA and George Lucas really plants that idea in him as well too because Skywalker's also not in LA and he's like you're smart you need to stay out of there as long as possible I was more inspired here yeah and it turned out to be the best decision I would have made later when I became friends with George Lucas he said it's so smart you stayed in Austin because that's why I'm in Marin County when you live outside of Hollywood you're living outside of the box and you think outside of the box, automatically you're going to make innovations. You're just going to trip over them because you're just away from tradition. Right. They'll all, they all do the same thing over and over. That's why I was breaking so much new ground here. It's because yeah. I was away from there. So I started shooting digital before anybody in Hollywood. Total green screen movies like Sin City. I shot actually the first digital 3D movie there was. Before Jim Cameron did, I just used his cameras. He was making them for the underwater <laughs> stuff. He said, hey, you made one before me. And there was only two digital screens in all the whole country back yeah. then. I mean, that's how cutting edge we were here in Austin. Because right. he was right. You were, we lived outside of the box. So we suddenly qu questioned everything that they were doing in Hollywood because it didn't make sense here. And this starts sort of his movement away from the way, even though he's in the Hollywood system, the way films are being done there. And one of the big things is because he's he has money and he has the reputation now is in 2005 he co-directs sin city with frank miller the writer creator of that comic book and they do it all on green screen using like brand new technology to create these very digitally animated backgrounds i believe there's only actual four sets in the entire movie Wow. Um, everything else is all CG. Like I said, Sin City 2005 comes out when I'm in college. I remember watching it and being absolutely fucking blown away by the way it looked and how different it was. And it's a really singular viewpoint. Um, he says he he wanted to give Frank Miller the co-directed thing because, you know, he didn't do any storyboards for it. He literally used the comics and he just really felt that Frank Miller created the visual style. Um, but I don't know how much Frank Miller actually did on the movie. And even the even 
with all of that happening, Rodriguez has to resign from the Directors Guild of America because they won't give Frank Miller the credit. And right. because of I the, saw that it was very controversial for him to be like, no, this is my co-director. Yeah. And they and, were like, I think the fuck not. <laughs> and the DGA actually penalizes him for that. And he has to drop out of um, John Carter of Mars, which was a movie he was attached to, which at the time was at Paramount and eventually goes to Disney and everybody knows what happened to John Carter. Uh, it's funny, too, because his career is littered with product with projects that he started on and then left right. um, after Desperado. He was actually supposed to make The Mark of Zorro with Antonio Banderas and... Um, that Do wasn't nothing. him. <laughs> yeah, it was not her. It becomes this really controversial move. Did you see Sin City? Oh, yeah. I saw Sin City, like, in high school. Yeah. Um, and I I remember thinking, like, they finally did it. Like, this is a comic book on the screen. It's also... He it gives no fucks about, like, how what movies are supposed to look like, how they're... Yeah. Like, what stories you're supposed to see, how they're supposed to be told. Like, I had never seen a movie that was literally just, like, four stories put together kind of um, like, and and also I think this like ushered in, like, you know, without Sin City, you don't get 300. Zack Snyder does not have a career. Like it's like, I'm and still to this day, there is no movie that looks like Sin City right. or has come. I, I would say into the Spider-Verse is the closest to like really taking that uh, comic book feeling onto the screen. But um, yeah, it, it's so, you know that that is a Frank Miller movie because he captured it so perfectly. But I will say, I revisited it for this and I don't think I've seen it since I was in college or maybe shortly thereafter. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. Um, like when it comes to the idea that like we've moved on as a society from, that movie is mm-hmm. so much sexism, so mm-hmm. much racism, so much homophobia. Just, it's... It was hard to watch, I will admit. I I could, and I I get where its roots are from, um, but also I've met Frank Miller. I used to do a comic book podcast. Like um, I've read his stuff post that. I mean, that man is a racist. So like, yeah, he. <sighs> Again, this is and like we haven't gotten to a grindhouse yet, but like I was like, this movie isn't gay. But is it queer? <laughs> oh, I actually, a friend of mine brought something up about that, which is, um, is, is pulp camp for straight people? Yeah. And, yeah. And it really feels like that, especially in this. And that's why maybe I can't get too, too mad at it because it's all so fake and not real, but it's just like, just so like, I, I also think that it's presented or pulp is always presented in a way that's like cool. And so I think that an impressionable mind could look at it and be like, yeah, but these characters are cool. So it's, it's cool to call like a, you know, a lesbian, a dyke and it's cool to like, you know, all this ultra violence. And, you know, by the fifth time we got to like somebody talking about eating someone, I was just like, come on guys, can yeah. I get out of here? Lucille's my parole officer. If she's a dyke, but God knows why. With that body of hers, she could have any man she wants. The pills come from a girlfriend who's a shrink. She tried to analyze me once, but she got too scared. Haven't seen you like this in a while. Got a fight with some cops. 
Didn't happen to kill any of them, did you? Not that I know of. But they know they've been in a fight, that's for damn sure. A lot of, like, dicks being ripped off and, like... Yeah. It, I mean, I will say it looks amazing. It, it, looks... Does, it does look amazing. And a really impressive thing, um, Mickey Rourke and Elijah Wood um, never saw each other on set. They filmed their scenes completely separate. And Rucker Hauer and Mickey Rourke filmed their scenes completely separate. And their scenes, you you absolutely cannot tell that those are stitched together. Yeah, I mean, no. I'm an editor and I'm like, how? How, bitch? I mean, all green screen. I get it. Yeah, I, I was reading that like in Texas Monthly or something, they were like, and Robert was like, well, let's, we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we got it. He's always been very supportive of other people being filmmakers. And so most of the DVDs that he's ever made contain these things called 10 minute film schools. They're like a quick behind the scenes, but they're done unlike most other behind the scenes videos are because he's really showing you how you can accomplish things without having much money. And I've always appreciated him for that. Also, I like that most of them after once upon a time, in Mexico started containing 10 minute cooking schools. And the, and the reason I bring that up is because uh, Robert Rodriguez is not one of those people that's like writer's block doesn't exist. He's like, it absolutely does. People get blocked all the time. But what you do to solve it is you go make something else. If you don't live your life creatively and then you set aside some time at night to go write your novel, you're going to get a block because you're not in the flow. But if you apply creativity to everything in your life, everything is available to you to where you suddenly can paint. Like you'll see paintings I did with the actors. Even though they're very creative in the acting world, they didn't think they could paint. So I made them paint and then they saw that they were able to because when you're in a creative flow, you can do just about anything. So it's all about living a creative life to where you can't possibly ever get blocked because you're always, okay, well, I'm not, I have an idea for writing, so I'm going to go cook something, which is art you can eat, you know, and you're serving it and you're eating it and consuming it and you're creating and you go back and you do that. In 2005, he releases The Adventures of Sharkboy and Lava Girl in 3D. Um, it is co-written by his son, uh, Racer Rodriguez. Um, I think he's credited as Racer Max. And because WGA has lots of rules about writing, he leaves the WGA. <laughs> yeah, he's just resigning from things left and right. Um, Shark I don't care. <laughs> Sharkboy and Lava Girl is loosely based on Racer's uh s stories and dreams and it's very 3d um also in 2007 uh he does grindhouse with quentin tarantino the concept of grindhouse was that they would do two movies stitched together with trailers in between they would be done in the old grindhouse style if people don't know what grindhouse is they were usually movie theaters that showed um lots of b-grade and exploitation films and uh he does the movie Planet Terror. Um, Quentin Tarantino does Death Proof. Death Proof. Um, both films get released separately later in a slightly extended format. Movie ends up being a huge failure. Um, Weinstein, who has been basically propping up Robert Rodriguez's career for a very long time, blame him completely to his face. Wow. Uh, because Tarantino's their golden boy. So what are they going to do? Tell him that he fucked up? No. But honestly, who's the more famous of the two? Anyways. <laughs> um, and and so he starts being like, maybe I don't 
maybe I don't need this. Like, I don't need... Um, he does do one more film with them, which is uh, 2011's Spy Kids All the Time in the World. And that was literally his, like, when he signed up for Grindhouse, he signed up for an extra film. And they were like, I don't know, give us another Spy Kids movies. And he was just like, fine. Yeah, and literally, he like, it's so funny... There are movies where you're like, oh, they're, they're they're in Texas. Okay. The Spy Kids movies, when they're in Texas, really fucking freaks me out because in the first and second ones, they're living on some fucking island somewhere. Right. Like they, and then all of a sudden in the third one, and, it, and in the fourth one, it's like, why are they in front of the Capitol building? Why, like, <laughs> the, the Texas flag flying. I'm like, and, and he's no, proud of where he's from. He is. It just fully. I'm like, girl. Okay, this is just getting messy. Like now, you're not working with what you have. Like <laughs> now, you're just being lazy boots. Um, so yeah, it's uh, Spy Kids Four is sad. Um, in between Planet Terror and Spy Kids Four, he does shorts in 2009, which is another kids movie. Um, he essentially tries to use his Sin City formula for that movie because he's talked about how like anthology movies don't necessarily work because they're like unconnected stories. And so what Shorts is is almost like a collection of short movies connected together with an interlocking story. And uh, yeah, but for kids. So no, no racism, homophobia and ultraviolence. You know what? I like Shorts better than a lot of Spy Kids. I'll say, I'll say that. We've got the rock now, Dad. We can have anything we want. Just wish for it. This is all you're doing, isn't it, young lady? No, Dad, just listen. We're here to talk about a box, a black box, not a round, colorful rock. This box needs to be able to do everything. That's what this does. That's Alaska. Havanica, go to your room. Don't ever come out. No! I wish you would just listen to me for a change. Oh, interesting. I mean, I I, I liked it fine. I didn't, I didn't, I, I do think when he writes... I don't know the he starts getting I think he starts as his kids get older starts getting more scatological with his kids movies Spy Kids 4 in shorts have a lot of boogers a lot of vomits a lot yes. of um yes. like poop gags and I was just like uh-huh. I don't need yeah. these that's fair I mean a lot of these are just like they're they're for kids and they're only for kids yeah um uh there is from this time period, there is a story in Texas Monthly called El Underachiever. And it really is like them kind of taking him to task, um, being like, the dirty, this is a quote from the story the dirty little secret about Rodriguez, one that doesn't often get mentioned in these parts, probably because his productions continue to pump so much money into the Texas economy, is that his movies in recent years have gone from borderline unwatchable to plainly dreadful. Or maybe it's the other way around. Who's going to credit the deafeningly shrill Spy Kids with resurrecting 3D when you can barely sit through it without swallowing two Advil? Nor has Rodriguez shown the necessary patience to allow his ideas to fully flower and turn into something enduring. The technology employed in both Spy Kids and Shark Boy and Lover Girl was a witty goof. I mean, he just like keeps pushing it. Like this person really is like, guys, come on, like enough. Um, basically asking him like step away from the spy kids right step away from sin city and like you know free yourself well you well, have more 
Well, it is funny because 2010, you get Machete, which is a spinoff of Grindhouse, which is basically like his fuck you to the Weinsteins. Machete was a fake trailer in it. Um, my problem with Machete is that it has one joke. I, I disliked it when I saw it. I rewatched it for this. I still disliked it. And I was yeah. just like, the one joke is, you know, look, we made a bad movie. But the problem is Robert Rodriguez has been an, an exploitation movie director from the jump. Like, he's mm-hmm. always been making this type of movie. Right. But the problem is, is when he thinks, when he's like, oh, I'm going to set out to make that type of movie, he then treats it like kind of a gag. And, right. And it's like, no, no, no. Like, you could make a better movie. We we know. Like, right. Desperado is an exploitation movie. And what I mean by exploitation movies, by the way, if, if anybody in the audience doesn't know what I'm talking about, is exploitation movies um, were... B films and they were usually an attempt to succeed financially um, by exploiting current trends. Usually a lot of those or niche genres, a lot of those are um, violent, they're sexy. um, They usually star minorities, but the, the other, the other side of the exploitation is like, it's not that they're just jumping on trends. They're also, made by people starring people who normally Hollywood won't pay the money to put on right. screen. Right. And, and so that's, you know, they're, they're low budget. They usually gain cult followings. And I think that's what he's always been really good at. So when I watch something like machete and I'll, I'll say something controversial, I liked the second one. Cause at least the second one was a comedy and, yeah, and yeah. the, but the first one, I'm just like, I get it. You're making, you're trying the to make, one, uh, like the I get the joke. The first one is hard, was hard for me to watch. I watched that today, and I, it, it's hard to watch specifically right now. I don't know that I wanted to see like a satire of like immigrants as cockroaches and like build a wall satire stuff. Yeah, uh, it is funny and, though that he did that a decade ago. By the way, yeah, I mean and. A part of me was like, God, is he trying to say something? If he was, I'd be down with it. But I don't think he is. All he's, it's just shock. It's just him saying, um, yeah, wouldn't it be so crazy if we fucking killed a senator who wants to. And so, like, I, I don't know. I wish there was something more. It, it, to yeah. me, Machete specifically is all flash, no substance. Yeah. Um, but, but and and you honestly know that because fucking Lindsay Lohan is in it, you know? Right. Like, um, and it also, I'm like, Jessica Alba, is she good in anything that I've ever seen? I don't think so. I was going to say, I'm going to let you muse on that. Not that I like know her or anything. I just, yeah. I mean, I just, I truly don't think so. She is a beautiful woman. I'm sure she's lovely. Maybe she's not. I don't know. I also don't understand. So she has a no nudity clause in her contracts, which I respect. I totally respect. But in Machete, the she has a shower scene. And so they had to like digitally basically make her naked in that scene because she shot it in a bra and panties. And I'm like, so what is the di-? because like her reasoning at the time was I don't want my parents to see me naked on film. But like what? is the like is she gonna be sitting with them and be like that's not me don't worry like what i like it's a very it's a very straight it's like a 
it's as if someone put like fake nudes of you but like put your face like right it's it's the what's that phrase it's a difference without a distinction you know yeah. it's, it's, i will um, say i love i think michelle rodriguez is very good um and i even in this movie that i don't like yeah. i was like just looking at her and i was like she is gorgeous she is acting circles around jessica alba i believe her that she's a badass i believe her when she's like feeling you know soft i so i will give michelle rodriguez her her flowers because i do like her in this movie i really like michelle rodriguez as well so you're not alone in that one but the you know this comes his trick his triptych of sequels he does the four spy kids in 2011 machete kills in 2013 sin city a dame to kill for in 2014 which does horrible by comparison to sin city um makes like no money in comparison and is just essentially like ends the sin city movie thing that was happening (laughs) in 2019 he releases alita battle angel uh which was originally going to be a james cameron film but james cameron realized like he's basically going to spend the rest of his life making movies about pandora that no one really wants Mm -hmm. and so he thought who's the best person to do this robert rodriguez really gets the idea of shooting everything on green screen creating this sort of hybrid cartoon movie thing he brings him in, but he stays on as executive producer and like everything has to go through him, which I didn't realize like how tight of control James Cameron kept on things like he had to approve all the casting. I mean, I th- I think it's fine. I think it's harmless. Alita Battle Angel. I saw it. It's it's like it is like a, a cartoon. I've seen it twice. I saw it once and then I saw it once dubbed in Spanish on a bus in Mexico. OK, fine. <laughs> um, and- yeah, I. I think it's better than people give it credit for. I don't think it's good. Yeah. But like, it is, this is the movie. I mean, it's very James Cameron. There's action, there's romance, there's sci-fi. It's it's all here. All the quadrants are being hit. Um, but yeah, I think it's fun. I think it's clear that they wanted to make it more. Who knows if that will happen. Right. But, yeah. Because it didn't, it, it like hit that weird middle ground where like, it's like, did it make enough money to warrant more? But who knows? Um, but it looks great. I mean, like, one thing I will say is I'm very glad that we are now in a timeline in a universe where um, graphics have or technology has caught up or matured enough that you can do all these crazy fucking things because I cannot sit through another shark boy and lava girl. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing, right? Because he's really found a way, especially in Alita Battle Angel, to create that balance of the uncanny valley where it's like just real enough that it's not upsetting but not, yep. you know, not too indistinguishable from um, human beings. And he didn't want that either. I mean, obviously, Alita looks the way she does because they didn't want her to look fully human. He also, in 2019, because it was the 20-year anniversary of El Mariachi, he decided to go back and make another $7,000 film. It's called Red 11. Um, it was bought by Tubi at the festivals and has never been seen since. No one knows what happened to it. Nobody. She's a gone girl. Um, And then around that same time, Netflix uh, approaches him and is like, we would love you to make a kid's film for us. These kids watch those movies over and over because they're, they're action films made for, for children and families in particular at a time when they need empowerment. Netflix had come to me because the Spy Kid movies had just done so well in their service. I said, could you make us a, a, a series of films that, that do that? And I said, I'd love to. I, you know, it was hard to make them for the theater because 
kids couldn't just drive themselves to the theater and watch it a thousand times. They'd have the parents have would have to take them. But on Netflix, they could just sit there. You know, I don't have, I don't have to sit there and watch Glitter Force with my daughter. She can go click it as many times as she wants. And so he makes We Can Be Heroes, uh, which is kind of a spinoff of um, Sharkboy and Lava Girl. It's the expanded Sharkboy and Lava Girl universe. Yes, uh, but it's not a sequel. Right. And I would even argue it's in the shorts universe because there's like the same cereal box that they keep using. Yeah. Um, oh, there, there's a lot of that in like that. Right. He uses Quentin Tarantino's brand of cigarettes in the and Yeah. So. But, uh, yeah, the same president, though, from the Spy Kids movies is also in this movie. Um, so, yeah, I will say We Can Be Heroes, I thought was darling. Oh, Very- it's a massive step up from Sharkboy and Lava Girl. Yeah, I was like, OK, these parents who like love their little superhero kids. I was like, I'm into this. Yeah. And, and like, once again, all this stuff is a huge family affair for him. Um, I did mention earlier, by the way, that he uh, did that episode of The Mandalorian. The next thing that he's getting involved with is he is producing and directing some episodes of a Boba Fett TV series for Disney+. Plus. So he's definitely heavily involved in that The Book of Boba Fett, which was teased, um, I believe, at the end of the last big um, Disney reveal thing that they do every year. Um, he's also, as I mentioned, had a lot of projects fall through. He was going to make a comic book movie out of Mike Allred's Mad Men. Um, he was going to do Barbarella with his girlfriend at the time, who was Rose McGowan and Rosario Dawson was going to be in all these things have, have not come to fruition. I do want to talk real. Oh, also he was set to make a remake of John Carpenter's escape from New York, which honestly I would watch that, but (laughs) um you say that he was dating rose mcgowan isn't he married well we're gonna get to that so let's touch upon his personal life um in in april of 2006 uh it was announced that he and his wife elizabeth uh avalon have decided to split um they have five children together rocket racer rebel rogue and rhiannon um and they we were together. We love a theme. We love a theme. <laughs> they were together for 16 years, but it was um, said that he had a dalliance with Rose McGowan on the set of Grindhouse. Um, oh but th- th- they ended up together for a while, and then they split up in 2009. Um, in 2010, um, Alexa Vega, who was Carmen Cortez in the Spy Kids movies, uh, he walked her down the aisle at her wedding. Oh. Yeah, I don't think she's married anymore either. But still, I kind of love that. I love that she. <laughs> I love that she invited him to. Um, and yeah, and as I mentioned, like he's all a one man band. You know, he has been doing things. Um, he the, literally plays in a band that plays the music in his fucking movies. Yeah, and it's funny too because he's now moved that that effort out into his own kids racer has co-written with him racers now producing racer produced we can be heroes along with uh robert rodriguez rebel rodriguez wrote the sound the score for the movie and it's funny because robert rodriguez was like oh yeah i tried to teach him like i was like oh i'm gonna teach you how to work in orchestra and then he just kept bringing me more um music that was more amazing than anything i could have written um he wow. continues to edit the films himself. He continues to shoot a lot of them himself. Uh, he also did the Lady Gaga, Ariana Grande video, Rain On Me, by the way. So, uh, yeah. Wait, Robert Rodriguez film, Rain On Me? Yeah. 
that's fucking wild. It makes sense. If you watch that video, you're like, you're like, checks out. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that mostly brings us up to date with Robert Rodriguez. He is, you know, possibly making more Alita Battle Angel. We'll see what happens to that in the future. But yeah, he, I like that he's sort of kept it as a family affair. And I don't know. I, I do think for even, I can't say I disagree with that article <laughs> that you read from, but I also really respect the way he goes about his business and that he stays true to himself. I, oh, I forgot to mention he also produced uh, Predators, um, which he was going to direct and then didn't. But like, if, if you're like listening to this and you're like, mm, he didn't mention Predators, he, he yeah, he did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did that. It's fine. Um, yeah, I, 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 I respect him like truly giving no fucks about Hollywood and like how things are supposed to be done. Um, but I do think like steel sharpens steel and he right now is like this one man who seems like his steel has gotten very dull. And I would hope that he could find collaborators that I don't know, maybe aren't his kids to, <laughs> I mean, no, I'm sure that they're, they're great at what they do, but like, no man is an island. That's no true. Is um, so I think that's a good place to leave off. So why don't we move into our one star reviews and talk about the things that we didn't particularly love. I have had no worse time <laughs> than watching the adventures of shark boy and lava girl. I, I cannot think of a worse film and he has some stinkers. You know, it's not like we were ginger or gentle about talking about the movies that we didn't like, but shark boy and lava girl, just it's nothing. It's more than nothing. And I feel bad saying that because it was written by a kid and it's for kids. So essentially uh shark boy and lava girl, which was sometimes called shark boy and lava girl in 3d. And maybe I missed out cause I didn't see it in 3d, but I don't think so. Um, is about a, a little boy named max who, uh, believes in his dreams about these superheroes, this boy that has shark powers and this girl that has lava powers and they live on planet drool, uh, which is his creation. And he basically, uh, you know, tells anybody who will listen about this and they're all like, well, they're not real, but of course they are real. Also, um, on top of that, his parents are having a, are getting a divorce. You know this because in the collective two scenes that they're in together, they spend the first one yelling at each other and the second one making up. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so that could be the cause of Max's daydream, but he essentially has to go save the planet drool with shark boy and lava girl. There's also a villain in the movie that's played by George Lopez, uh, who plays Mr. Electra dad, electricidad, Ele- electricidad, um, yeah. uh, who's also Mr. Electric. Who's like partially the villain, but also there's a bully in his school. That's the real villain. Um, oh Linus, who's also known as minus. The one if, Okay, so I do not mean to like throw you off your roll, but Shark Boy and Lava Girl was also my pick. Um, if we're going to show one, or if you're going to pick one scene to play, literally the only scene that is worth listening to is Linus when he's demanding to send him to the principal's office because that little kid is going for broke every single scene. And at the very least, um, 
Robert Rodriguez has made a very good meme. Yes. Uh, out of his one and a half hour movie, there is a one good meme coming out of it. Um, and yeah, Linus slash minus, he, he's the true star of the movie. He ruined my dream journal! I did not! Mr. Electric, send him to the principal's office and have him expelled! You're in my class, not the other way around! I completely agree. That scene is amazing. But I think the other sound clip I am going to have to play since we both picked this movie is maybe the worst thing in the film, which is Taylor Lautner's dream song, which is maybe the worst thing ever committed um, to to my ears. Just relax, lay about, or my fist will put you out. Dream, 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 dream. Take your time, puppy, there's darkness in the air. about me next max taylor lautner got the role because he had martial arts skills um but robert rodriguez didn't know about them and then when he found out he was like why don't you choreograph your own self and while he's doing this dream song he's just doing like punches and kicks and splits and the secondhand embarrassment i got it because it was like watching it was like being someone's uncle and then the parents being like oh show him what you learned in karate today like i just i don't know what he was going for and like he uh, like i i hate accusing somebody of not directing but he did not direct these children because they do not outside of minus linus like they're not good and i'm sorry any taylor lautner stands he's terrible in this movie he's doing that thing that like you know when somebody tells you to be mad at somebody so you just do this the whole time because you're mad and so you have to show people you're mad yeah i i couldn't i could not say and then on top of everything else on it's hideous it's maybe one of the most hideous movies ever seen the 3d digital stuff and i get it he's not going for realism but it it's so bad it's like five steps back from anything in the spy kids movies it reminded me of like the movies that i would watch in elementary school um from like they would put in the vhs's and it was like you know science things i'm like graphics i'm like oh no whoa like it reminded me of that yeah but my point of reference was um any cd-rom computer game from 1992 yeah and like Like, i i expected a character to like turn towards the camera and talk to me like what do you think we should do next and i would have to click on the door behind them or something yeah it's and i truly just don't for all of the the you know like breakthroughs in 3d and using it like I cannot stand, like, let's take a full 30 seconds to just watch the thing float in front of everyone. Yeah. It's like, this is serving nothing and nobody. Um, and the entire time I just kept thinking, like, would my nieces and nephews look like this? I don't think so. Like, it's it's not even fun for kids. I, 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 I can't imagine, like, anyone having the patience for this droll nonsense. I mean... On top of all that, Gavin, you you hit all you checked all the boxes. On top of all of that, I just don't think it makes sense. The plot of it is that he has made these people up, or he's imagined all these things, and but and they tell you, oh, but that's his thing. He like makes them real, but then towards the end, spoiler alert, they wake up. He's not dreaming anymore, and all the people are actually you were back into normal reality. So you think 
But then Shark Boy and Lava Girl do come back, and Mr. Electric does come back, even though George Lopez is their teacher still. And he even has the line where he's like, You made me a villain in your dreams. Right. And so I I couldn't like track whether or not like this. I was like, wait, so did the kid fucking make them or not? Because <laughs> he made like the movie tells us like he's woken up from his dream. Well, that's that's it, one of the I mean people often tell you like it's nothing is more boring than listening to somebody tell you about their dreams. And that's what this is. This is a script that's based off of dreams. It's somebody tell you. So I get that. Um, I don't always subscribe to that. I do think some people have interesting dreams, but um, I, yeah, I don't know, but there's people that have thought about this a lot more than you and I have. I mean, I read a whole thing online where people were like, well, when you meet Max, he's lying on the bottom bed of a bunk bed. So maybe the thing that's causing Kristen Davis and David Arquette to break up is that they lost a child. And I was just like, whoa, this is too much thought, you know? Galaxy brain. Um, I, I, I do think it is funny, though, when you think about like, robert rodriguez's life and you have like the spy kids that are all about family and being together with your family and then you get this movie and it's about parents going through a divorce and then you get like the fourth spy kids movies and it's about a stepmom and the kids hating the stepmom i'm like oh this all huh this thing was going i and again i also just think that like robert rodriguez i don't think it's a good writer i'm sorry like (laughs) His stories are so plain, and I don't think his dialogue is well written. I just don't buy it. I think he has like really flimsy like ideas, and it's like, yeah, let's make a movie out of it. And that works when it's like a mariachi walks into town, gets into trouble, and then leaves. Right. That is because that's an easy enough story to execute. Like even Planet Terror stuff, it's like there's like dots connecting it together. You know, but in Shark Boy and Lava Girl, and in a lot of the Spy Kids movies, I'm like, "What is that? that? No." Yeah. no. Um, by the way, and I'd be totally remiss if I didn't mention this, and I know this totally should be in the rewind. I didn't even mention the El Rey Network, which I was really a big fan of, and he created his own TV network. Um, it basically contained B movies and exploitation movies as well as original series, including the original series version of From Dust Till Dawn, which I think was better than the movie because I, speaking of writing, I think that story works better being fleshed out more. Um, mm-hmm. Because the entire first season was just a remake of the movie. Unfortunately, uh, El Rey ended up um, finishing their broadcasting at the turn of 2020 because nobody was carrying them anymore. But uh, yeah. But did you, was there anything else that you saw that you didn't particularly like? Um, I think I said my piece with Machete. I mean, I I am interested in talking to other Tejanos about what they feel about the movie. I can't imagine. There's a part of me that's like, yeah, cool, fuck ice, and let's do all those things. But I just, I was like, God, this movie sometimes, like, there are some, like, one-liners. I'm like, oh, that's a fun, dumb thing. But it's surrounded by other stuff that's just dumb. Um, So definitely that. I mean, I definitely, I also agree with you that, like, it didn't feel like he had anything to say. It felt like um, exploitation for exploitation's sake and not um, any message behind it. And I, I often think that that doesn't work. You know, that's... It, it's almost as if, like, even, like, the Mexicans in that movie, 
they're just like, yeah, fuck this bad guy. But then turns out that bad guy is also like on the side that they thought they were fighting for. I'm like, this is not even to me like Mexican pride, Mexican power. This is just a fucking bloodbath. And again, for like kind of just shock and awe of it all, I'm like, God, there was a good message here. I don't know where it went. (laughs) I don't think he knew what it was or where it went either. Um, If I had to single out um, you know, I like I I I also said my piece on Machete. I think I said my piece on Once Upon a Time in Mexico. I would have to, upon reevaluating it, put Sin City in my lower like like it's it's upsetting to watch in a way that like I no longer find entertaining. Oh, and and I can't recapture that feeling that I felt in the theater, being kind of blown away by the visuals. So mm. I I would I would put Sin City much further down and then obviously like the two later spy kids movies are not great three and four though i will say um he did get ricardo montalban back into acting for a little bit ricardo montalban um had been paralyzed in the 90s and Mm. as a favor to him in the third movie he made it so he could walk and I do yeah. think that that is a, a very precious, very sweet thing to do. But um, that movie's bad. So, movie. yeah, Sy- Sylvester Stallone. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know that was a really quick one-star review, but let's get out of here and get into our five-star reviews. What do you got, Gavin? Desperado. <laughs> Why don't you... Um, 1995's Desperado. I think it. I think it really distills down everything that he does really great. You know, it's still a pretty relatively low budget movie. Um, it was made for seven million instead of seven thousand, which I think is funny that they were just like, let's add an extra O um, mm-hmm. or extra three O's. Whatever. I'm not good at math. I told you that up front. <laughs> um, um, it's not a perfect movie, It's but it's a fun little exploitation film. Antonio Banderas uh, sweeps into town. He's looking for Bucho, um, who is basically like the next step up from Moco, who was the bad guy in the first movie. I love that Robert Rodriguez felt that he needed to, to shoot the ending of uh, El Mariachi again, but with Antonio Banderas, which <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's unnecessary, but I love, I love it. It's a nice little touch. Um, and he ends up in this town um, that basically just feels like it's filled with criminals. You know, everybody is after him. Danny Trejo, who's this badass with n- knives. Steve Buscemi's his only friend. He's playing Steve Buscemi. Mm-hmm. Literally, his name is Buscemi in the movie. And Steve Buscemi's job is to, like, go from bar to bar and, like, tell people the, le- the legend of El Mariachi in hopes that they can flush out um, uh, Bucho. And he meets Selma Hayek, who runs a bookstore. She ends up taking care of him, cleaning his wounds after he's attacked um, by uh, Danny Trejo, who I really thought had lines in this movie, but really just shows up for that scene to be badass and then dies. Um, And yeah, and and they sort of form a small team together. Uh, This movie was also, and they go to try to take, take down, Bucho, he, you know, there's there's a little moment where he begins to suspect Selma Hayek, whose side is she really on? I think that's handled really well. I think she's just really good and charismatic in the movie. And I've talked many times about how fucking hot young Antonio Banderas is. So mm-hmm. just really and 
I don't know. It's fun. It leads to this big explosive ending, the, an ending that was supposed to be even more explosive. Um, but the when they submitted the film, uh, it got an NC-17 rating and he couldn't find a way to cut it. There was an entire sequence at Pucho's compound. Um, he couldn't figure out a way to cut it down. And so they just cut it all out. So like they show up at Pucho's compound and it fades to black and then comes back up for their like final confrontation, which I think is such a brilliant because it feels it's like this once again, like I said, he's making exploitation movies. So then when you get something like Planet Terror, which is like a parody of exploitation movies and you get like the the real missing and you don't find it. It's like but he actually did that before he, he like found a way to make it work because right, that's right. what you do. Um but yeah, I just I really like it. I think Antonio Banderas is really charismatic. I think it's got a lot of style. Um and and he really shot it in a way that like you know, was dangerous and, and lively and we mentioned in the in the Antonio Banderas episode when they're jumping from rooftop to rooftop, it was very precarious. They had like one crane. It wasn't really meant to lift people. Um Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I I find it to be a really charming movie. It's got a really sweet ending. Um, yeah, yeah. That's Desperado. I think I think it's a lot of fun. Thank you for the coffee. You call me. Yes. If I see you, I'll make sure and call you. Him? Yes, you're not doing anything to him around here. All your girls, both girls, and I don't want to die over this, okay? Absolutely, Gavin. That's a great pick. I think of 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 those films that he's known for, I think Desperado absolutely is the one that shines um, the brightest. Um, my pick, and let's fight, uh, is 1998's The Faculty. <laughs> I don't. I don't have. I genuinely have no ill will towards the faculty. I think it's fine, and I definitely liked it much better this time around than I did when I was younger. But I do think it is a like a scream clone, right? It, oh, absolutely is. But I just like from my watching, I was like, the faculty was the most fun. I think it is the clearest example of like if he, give give him some box to play in and he will give it the style, the panache. He will give it like that energy. I just think also the faculty has a lot of uh, cool, fun things. Just in the same way that Scream was taking down, you know, the horror action flick, I think um, the faculty is doing that about, um, you know, it, it, like you said, it's like a riff on Invasion um, of Body Snatchers. But giving it this like Americana twist, I think like the ultimate meta thing is like Tommy Hilfiger clothing was like a sponsor of the movie or some shit. Like the cast only wore Tommy Hilfiger. They ended up doing commercials for it. The whole movie is about not um, uh, or subverting the thing of like you need to fit in um, to be cool in school. Um, the faculty is uh, really quickly about um, just these like hot teens at this high school, um, aliens have shown up and are taking over um, <clears throat> the school, the, the the faculty, if you will, the titular faculty, um, and they are slowly trying to infect all the students. Um, Josh Hartnett um, with clothes baggier than um, you know anything I've ever worn and hair 
I was just yeah. going to say, while we're on the subject of now that you've seen Halloween H2O from our Jamie Lee Curtis episode and this movie, which is the worst haircut? I think Halloween H2O. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, he he is like this slacker Zeke. He is a drug dealer. Um but like maybe it's just caffeine pills. I don't know. Um, I love like when I rewatched this, I was like, oh my God, I forgot that the drugs are like the savior. And I think that's so fucking funny. Um, I love Cleo Duvall in this movie. Uh, this is Usher's film debut. There's a lot of like little pieces here. And I also just love, I mean, the driving force behind Elijah Wood's movie. A lot of the driving force in this is, you know, like the football star doesn't want to be the football star. He wants to be more. Um, Claire Duvall's character, she is goth and pretends to be a lesbian to like guard herself from like people. Um, and uh, all these characters kind of have these like little sideways things. The head cheerleader played by Jordana Brewster. Um, she's also like the editor of the paper. Um, and the subversion of all the tropes and, and also just the idea that like, you know, there's that really great moment where they're like, well, prove it, prove to me that you're not like a fucking alien. And they're like, no, drugs are bad. I would never. And it's like, lol, bitch, fucking do them. <laughs> and they have to like get high to prove that they are not, you know, this uh, singularity, you know? <laughs> now you to love. No. <laughs> Her first. I'm allergic. Yeah, and I'm Portuguese. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, is this much fun, man? <laughs> Sometimes she can be a real bitch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you both take it. You can't. You know I can't. You have to take it. I think that's just a really uh, cool, sneaky, and all that being said, I think uh, Robert Rodriguez, he brings this energy to it and like this big bombacity, like when they're playing football and like the fireworks are going off, B.B. Newworth is in this movie. Yeah, the teachers, the teachers are great. You get Fumpke Janssen, you get Jon Stewart, you get Robert Patrick at his most like T-1000. So yeah. 10%. it's it's just like this movie is camp. I mean, even though like, this is not a perfect movie, I think it effortlessly showcases like teenage Americana of the time. It doesn't feel forced. Um, a crazy thing is that like Zeke does have this like laboratory in his basement where he gets to like he has a rat that he experiments on and like is yeah, so weird. It it's very weird. It's yeah. But also at the same time, I'm like, at the end of the movie, is he fucking Fomke Jensen? Like, he's like the ultimate outsider who decides to smoke and become a football player. And also he's absolutely boning um, the Fomke uh, uh, character because like, it, it, I don't know, this movie like just, just takes no fucking prisoners um, and just is happy to uh, spin its wheels through sci-fi meta commentary high school bullshit um 
And yeah, there's so many good scenes in this movie that I really, really love. There's been some really good post, like very post film analysis that has come out afterwards um, through the lens of both feminism and female sexuality. Uh, And I I just wanted to read this quote um, from Shannon Packer and uh, Jody Pennington. Uh, They said, the image on screen is dual. We see beautiful, young, naked Mary Beth strolling around looking for Casey and the shadow of the monstrous form in the walls. Mary Beth delivers a speech which ties the elements of the movies together. It's about the world she came from and its promises of paradise for lost and lonely humans trapped in high school hell. Yeah. Yeah. I think like it's so easy to um, connect to these characters. And then it's also so easy to, at the beginning of it, be like, oh, he's the dumb jock. Oh, she's the dumb bitch. Like, and then for the movie to be able to like kind of peel that back and be like, no, there's more there. And then at the end, when like they have succeeded, the brain worms have gone away. They get to even like Clay Duvall's character. She's like, you know what? Yeah, I don't need to fucking wear the black anymore. I can just make out with the hot football player. Um, Zeke can play football and like smoke cigarettes and fuck the teacher. Like it's, they're all getting to just like shed that shit. I love that. That that's a very good. They said that better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else that you saw that you particularly liked? I still think El Mariachi is very fun. I think his segment in Four Rooms is a lot of fun, and uh, we didn't even mention Four Rooms. Um, it's an anthology film. I think we brought it up during the Antonio Banderas episode. Yeah. He does um, a segment called The Misbehaviors, and it is essentially like his like pilot for the Spy Kids movies, but the kids are so much worse. But it's, oh, right, right. yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I think the first two Spy Kids movies have a lot of charm. Um, I think Antonio Banderas and uh, what's her name? It's Carla Quinn. Carla Giacchino, right? Carla Gugino, yeah. I think she's very good in both of those. Um, I wish she was treated better in Sin City, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I did say up front, uh, I will go to bat for Machete Kills. I like that it drops this stylistic point that it's an old movie, even though it does begin with like a fake trailer, but it doesn't do any of like the film grain. And I love the idea of like Lady Gaga running around as a shapeshifter. And, you know, even though there is Mel Gibson, fuck Mel Gibson, whatever, but it is fun to watch it. It is funny that like the terrible people in it, that like Mel Gibson and then Steven Seagal in the first one are both just awful people. I I've known people that have worked with Steven Seagal and have just said he's the fucking worst. Um, but I like that. They're like the, at least the villains in the movie. So you're yeah. not rooting for them. I also will say, you know, I am not mad at planet terror. I think. Oh yeah. Planet terror is fun. It's really fun. It's really slick. Um, he knows exactly what he wants, exactly what he's doing. Um, it's genuinely funny at times. There are also super gross out moments that I'm like, oh God. Yeah, um, isn't but, Tarantino listed in the credits as rapist number one or rapist number two? So also giving Quentin Tarantino the best credit he's ever gotten in his life. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, to this day, I still say, I want to eat your brains and take your powers, which is when the little uh-huh. kid's playing with the action figures. Yep. Yeah, so I love Planet Terror. Um, but yeah, so before we move into our fast forward, why don't we do our mixed reviews review? So my one star review, which also happens to be your one star review, is 2005's The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl, sometimes in 3D. My five star review is 
1998's The Faculty. And my five-star review is 1995's Desperado. So what's next for Robert Rodriguez? We're all asking ourselves this. Uh, You know, this is, as I said, this is a man who loves film, would do anything to to make film. Um, So he's certainly not slowing down. He's an executive producer on an upcoming Zorro TV series, which I believe is being either produced or written by his sister. And it's going to be about a female Zorro, which is even cooler. Um, And also he's been attached to for a really long time, this movie called hypnotic, which is a sci-fi thriller. Um, The log line is a detective investigates a mystery involving his missing daughter and a secret government program. Um, Supposedly going to be starring Ben Affleck. He did co-write it with Max Borenstein. So I know how you feel about that, Louie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's definitely never going to stop. The one thing that I do miss from El Rey um, that I love that he did is he did this TV show called The Director's Chair. And he essentially would sit down with other directors and pick their brains about filmmaking because he is such a film fan. And, you know, I hope if El Rey ever comes back as like a streaming service or that he's able to pick that up and really get back into those conversations because they are fascinating. Right. I think he has said that he hopes maybe it'll come back as a digital thing. Um, I think like, yeah, like you had mentioned before, there's so many projects that are just like on the floor um, with him. I kept seeing over and over again that like he was attached to a Red Sonja um, remake or sequel or whatever. God, that thing uh, is fucking cursed because for a while there it was also brian fucking singer and she's like ugh, no it seems like the perfect fit for him because i do believe he directs really badass women to like great and great action stuff um and, but man if i could only just fucking see it outside of his exploitation movies um and and i will say you know like i think alita he was successful in in that sense there as well you know um and I would love to see it though. It's like he is obsessed with graphics and CGI shit, but I think he is so good with practical stuff, you know, and I just want more of that. Yeah. Um, I, I completely agree. One of the beautiful things about watching the first season of um, From Dust Till Dawn, which I never watched the second season, so I have no idea if that's good or not. Um, and he certainly didn't direct every episode of From Dust Till Dawn, but it was so nice to see the episodes that he did direct that he was dealing with physical sets. And like, and I, I was like, oh, this is the Robert Rodriguez I miss. This is the Robert Rodriguez I really like seeing, which is not to take away anything from Alita Battle Angel. Like, we did talk about that, and I think that world exists in a good place for it, but it it was nice to see something like set in a semi real reality and just proving like he can be a good filmmaker right. when he has all of the faculties. A part of me is like, is there a reason why no one is like, Hey, I have a script. Like let's make a movie. Like is no one from Paramount, no one from Disney or I mean, clearly Disney is fucking hired him for a shit. Right. It's great. Love that. But to me, it's like, God, I just, I swear to God, if a third machete movie gets made or like five kids get happened again, it's like, yeah, again, can you try something else? Yeah. 
Um, no, I completely agree. I, I think he needs to move away from sequels and remakes and all, all that stuff. Um, the only other film, by the way, that he does have coming out um, and is guaranteed to come out unless the world ends uh, is the film, the short film, A Hundred Years. I don't know if you read anything about this. I just read a quick little gra- and I said, nope, bye. <laughs> so he directed a short film with John Malkovich, um, Shu Ye Chang and Marco Zaror. And it's essentially basically going to be um, a c- commercial for cognac, but it's locked in a vault um, and it'll come out on November 18th, 2115. Uh, it's being labeled the movie you will never see. And yeah, I don't know how much I care about that. Yeah. Like it, it's a stunt. commercial. Congratulations. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah. I would, you know, I, I would love to see him do like another horror movie that is just away from everything he has done. Um, literally, like, even if it was like, God, imagine if he would have been attached to one of Universal's new MonsterVerse things. You know, yeah. like, like I, a part of me is worried or like sad that he's kind of pushed everyone away um but i'm hopeful that you know with this disney stuff with boba fett um that he will kind of be more willing to work with other people yeah um and use his talents to really elevate other material because like i said i just don't think he's the greatest writer (laughs) i it does shock me the sort of alienation of a lot of it because i think he's also proved that he can do things for a smaller amount of money than most people would consider you know, what makes a huge Hollywood film and be able to pull it off impeccably in terms of look, not maybe not necessarily in terms of writing, as you were saying, and do it so well that he seems like a shoe in. But you're right. It is sort of that attitude of like, I'm going to do everything on my own and I'm going to it has to absolutely be my way. And I do think that keeps people away. Um, And there's not a lot of as I mentioned up front, there's a lot of corporations that own Hollywood studios. Now, there aren't a lot of um, as much of a monster as Weinstein is, you know, his studio really, the, the Weinstein company, Miramax, before it really allowed a lot of up and coming filmmakers to really handle their own things and do their own stuff. On the other end, you know, they're complete total fucking assholes who are awful people. And they would do things like blame you for the failure of a movie or, you know, try and edit Miyazaki films and so right. on and so forth. Um, and I don't think he's going to get many more of those chances unless, you know, unless Troublemaker and all its subsidiaries starts becoming like a real powerful player, unless Troublemaker becomes like a paramount distribution center, which I don't see happening. Um, I, th- I think his future is going to be either gaining back the trust and doing more things for like Disney or everything will be Netflix forever yeah. for the rest of time. Yeah. I mean, and like, fine I'm, I'm not mad at that i just really want um he needs to step away from the shiny toys yeah and like it, you know i've even seen here he like did a short vr film and it's like you are not this is not like a product testing situation <laughs> like make a movie don't make you know uh beta runs of new technology if you're a very negative person all you would focus on is wow i have a really bad movie on my resume that i wish i had never done 
But if you're a positive person, you will go, I'm so glad I took that step that most people would not have taken because that got me to a place that no one else can follow. And I catch myself complaining sometimes about this or that and, oh, you know, they want me to do this or they're not letting me do that. And I remember I, I was talking to a guy, I don't recall who, but he said the, the smartest thing to me. He goes, he says, wait, let me get this straight. He goes, you make flicks? You make movies? And I, and I go, yeah, yeah. And he goes, and you, you, you get paid to make movies? And I go, yeah. And he said, uh, I don't see the problem. <laughs> What's the problem? <laughs> That's the problem. And, you know, I think I have to remind myself of that every once in a while. I don't want us to end on a negative note. I think he's done a lot of really positive things for indie film and indie filmmakers. But you're right. It does it does feel like for every opportunity he's created, he's squandered too as well. And that's a little less fortunate. Right. And so I'm very happy and proud to announce that his next project is Chromatica the Movie. Um, <laughs> coming soon to theater near you. And for uh, every ticket sold for Chromatica in the movie, you will receive a pack of Chromatica Oreos. As well, yeah, as well as Dom Perignon for you to dip those Oreos in. So, Excellent. Love that. Well, I think we've made it, Gavin. I think we have, too. We've reached the end of the line. The Sin City limits, if you will. I just thought of I that. Didn't know that. I didn't know that Sin City's name was Basin City. But they, like... It's so bad that you can't even read the B-A in Basin. Yeah, that comes from the brilliant mind of Frank Miller. Anyways. <laughs> Sorry, I'm an asshole. I'll freely admit it. But as we're going out, if you want to contact us and call me an asshole to my face, you can always contact us on Twitter at, at the Mixed Reviews. If you want to call me an asshole to my face can go over to Facebook. Just type in the mixed reviews. <laughs> you could always email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And you can listen to us on a plethora of podcast apps. We're on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Audible, Amazon. And if you could, and I know a lot of people don't listen to us on Apple, but I always plug Apple because it's like sort of the big game. It is, it is the Disney to everybody else's studio. If you could go to Apple, leave us a five-star rating and write us a little review. We'll read it on the show. And what that does is that helps the algorithm go, huh, people like this show and points other people towards us and grows our audience. So it's a little way that you can help us out. And also real quick, thank you so much again, everybody who entered and congratulations, Michelle Ice. I will be in contact with you and I will get you your book ASAP. Don't forget, you also can buy shirts and all sorts of things at our merch store over at Redbubble. Um, It's fun. We like to have fun. (laughs) Uh, So thank you guys so much. And uh, we'll see you back here in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.